Hello everyone and welcome to episode 13 of Hints to Healing, a podcast where we discuss multidisciplinary work that contributes to the healing of children and young people with refugee experience. I want to acknowledge that I'm recording on the land of the Garingai people and I pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land, to their ancestors, their elders, past, present and emerging, and I also acknowledge the injustice that they've experienced and continue to experience and I recognise their resilience in the face of this. I'd like to extend a special welcome to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people tuning in today. I'm Nicole Lur, a school liaison officer on the school liaison team at STARTS, which is the New South Wales-based service for the treatment and rehabilitation of torture and trauma survivors. In this episode, you'll hear me in conversation with two guests from Restart, which is the Centre for the Rehabilitation of Victims of Violence and Torture in Lebanon. I spoke with clinical psychologist Joelle Webbe and social worker Celine Yasmin. Both Joelle and Celine have been working to support survivors of the blast that occurred at the Port of Beirut on the 4th of August in 2020, and they've been doing so since the second day after the explosion occurred. They told me that of the 1,026 survivors of the blast that they've assisted, 55% are refugees who fled to Lebanon, and they go on to explain how children already impacted by trauma were further impacted by the blast. Celine and Joelle outline the protective factors that they've observed to be contributing to the psychological recovery of young survivors, including the impact of community support, hope, faith, and respect on the healing of all people affected by the blast, including themselves. Both of my guests spoke candidly about how they've been impacted by the blast and by the broader crises Lebanon is facing, and they share with us how they manage their own psychological self-care. Celine and Joelle, welcome to the Hints for Healing podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. It's so Thank great you to... for having us today, Nicole. It's an absolute pleasure. And thanks for making the time and your busy schedule and um, joining us uh, all the way from Lebanon. Yes, thank you. Uh, so I thought we'd start by, um, like both of you work for Restart. Um, so Joelle, you're a clinical psychologist um, and coordinator of the specialist children's program um, at Restart. Um, and you were also involved um, in field work following the blast. And, and Celine, um, you're a social worker and were a field coordinator um, in the aftermath of the Beirut blast. Um, yes. Celine, perhaps could you tell me what Restart is, what kind of work Restart does and, and who Restart's clients are? Yes, sure. So uh, Restart is a non-governmental organization uh, that uh, works in the rehabilitation and prevention from torture. Um, it works uh, uh, since 1996 and it has uh, four programs. Uh, the first is the rehabilitation, capacity building, lobbying, and research and knowledge sharing. So uh, our main work uh, is uh, in the rehabilitation is uh, a holistic model multi, in a multidisciplinary manner, medical, psychological care, as well as legal and social services. Uh, we provide those services uh, in our center. 
uh, and uh, in the community, in the, a community-based program uh, for victims of torture, victims of uh, war trauma, victims of trauma, victims of sexual trauma, every kind of trauma and torture, and for their families also. Uh, uh, the capacity building uh, to, to the health, uh, health professionals and uh, applying new therapeutic techniques and also for the law enforcement personnel to, to enforce uh, also their skills vis-a-vis uh, -vis victims of torture and everything related to torture. Uh, lobbying also, lobbying and advocacy strategy. Uh, we work also to influence policy uh, and practice change related to torture also. And uh, the last program is the research and knowledge sharing is to be developed uh, very soon. Mm, such a broad area of remit. And uh, what's actually led you to wanting to work for Restart? Uh, so um, I'll start by talking about uh, my passion for this work. Um, my education at university uh, is an occupational therapist. So I started working with children who have some difficulties and with their parents. I was very interested in uh, helping children and parents to deal, to accept and to work on developing, uh, developing motor and cognitive skills. But during my work, I felt that I, I needed some more information. I needed to know more about the challenge parents face, what is, are the psychological mechanism and their impact on the, I mean, sickness, on the trauma and too many other things. So I continued studying psychology and I got my degrees and started my training and found out that this is really what I want to be a part of the humanitarian, mm. I mean, field to be working with people. And this is my mission. I, I want to be in contact in direct contact with people and to help them overcome many, many of the difficulties that are facing, especially in the area where we live in Beirut and now with the refugees, we are we have a lot of challenges. So mainly this was my, the path that led me to work at Restart uh, since 2008. Oh, thanks, Joelle. Yeah, I was really struck by you saying like you, you want to be in contact and it just sounds so similar to um, what we hear a lot from people in Sydney who work with um, people with refugee experience that that drive to want to connect and, and help through through human connections and, and through their expertise as well. And what about you, Celine? Exactly. What, yeah, what, what led you to working for Restart? Yes, uh, so uh, since my uh, grown-up years, uh, I love to, to work um, something something maybe between psychology and social work, uh, but uh, but I didn't find <laughs> I didn't find so so uh, I was uh, in the university in the study of medical and social work, and uh, I found this uh, this job as uh, uh, as a medical and social worker in in the mental health services. So so I was led to this path that uh, that interested me. Yeah. Okay. Really brought together your your core interests. Um, <laughs> So, Joelle, I was wondering, um, you're the coordinator of speci the Specialist Children's Program at Restart. Could you tell me a bit about what's involved in that role and the program you manage? Yes, sure. 
So um, as you already said, uh, Nicole, I do the coordination between the specialists at Restart. Um, we have a whole program for children and we have a multidisciplinary team. So we have like a physical therapist, we have psychologists, we have speech therapists, special educators, psychomotor, or as uh, you know it as more as occupational therapists. So what we do or what I usually do, I interview all the families uh, who come to Restart just to see what are the problems and how we can best help this family and especially the children. After interviewing and assessing, I mean the case and doing like a preliminary assessment, I do the referral for the specialist and we do uh, regular meetings to discuss the case, how we can provide the best uh, practice and how we could improve the quality of our work in order to help uh, families and children in the best way. And I, I, I'm a clinical psychologist. I already have several trainings and several techniques, and I work with adults who are victims of torture, who are SGBVs, uh, I mean, or uh, GBV, and uh, with adults who have any other disorders like uh, depression, anxiety, and many others. I see. And what about you, uh, Celine? What's your role at Restart? Yes. Um... Yes, so uh, I am a social worker since uh, six years now. Uh, I'm a social worker uh, and case manager also, uh, for sure, for, for the cases in Restart. And uh, in the Beirut BLAST project, I was the field coordinator, coordinating everything, the schedule, the workers, uh, all the work on the field. Let's see, yeah. And where... It's almost a year ago um, that that horrific blast occurred in um, the port of Beirut. So I, I was wondering if you could tell me about um, the project, um, the Beirut Blast Response Project, and what the purpose of it was um, when the blast first occurred and, and how it's evolved over the months since. Yes, sure. So uh, the Beirut Blast Response Project is, uh, uh, is a project, uh, it's an emergency project that, uh, that was uh, uh, planned, uh, that was not planned. <laughs> so uh, after the, this emergency, um, uh, we worked on the field since the second uh, day. Uh, uh, and, uh, and the focus was, uh, was uh, in the first few months, Maybe the focus was uh, was on the medical care, on the psychological first aid. Uh, so many people uh, were homeless, uh, were without any shelter or any help. Uh, uh, maybe in their uh, in their uh, body and in their uh, medical uh, care wise. Uh, also, uh, um, their their house uh, was destroyed totally or partially. Um, so, uh, so our uh, our work uh, uh, in the first uh, uh, few months were was uh, was focused on the medical care, psychological first aid, connecting uh, people to other partners, maybe shelters and maybe uh, financial assistance, and we were also distributing uh, food kits, hygiene kits, uh, first aid kits, educational materials, uh, diapers, PPEs, uh, sanitary pads. And after a while, uh, the, the PFA, uh, that is uh, the psychological first aid, uh, uh, goes for, uh, for uh, psychosocial support uh, after, after a while. So, uh, so, uh, so after a few months, we, we did the psychological uh, support 
uh, and that was uh, uh, very needed on, on the field. Uh, we did it uh, in uh, individual uh, support or in group support uh, uh, groups, and, uh, and we continue it uh, to December. Um, it continued until December last year. Yes, 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 yes. 2020, yes. Yeah. And could you tell me a bit more about um, psychological first aid and what's involved in that? Yes, psychological first aid is everything related to, uh, to, to um, maybe communicating with victims. Okay, so if I have a victim uh, in front of me, uh, if, if I uh, talked with him, uh, ass assessed him, uh, maybe referring him to, to another uh, uh, partner or maybe supporting him, listening him, all these things, the, the first aid, but, but not the medical first aid, it's oh. called uh, psychological first aid. I see, thanks for explaining that. Now, I, I think last I checked, um, I think more than 200 people were killed by that explosion and, and there were thousands yes. of injuries. Um, do you know what proportion of those people um, were in Lebanon as refugees? Um, uh, in Lebanon in general, uh, I don't know specifically, but in Restart, uh, uh, out of uh, 1026 uh, people, we helped uh, 565 refugees. So uh, maybe 55% were refugees. Yeah, and restart, yeah. High number. Yeah. Yeah. In restart in general or um, with the Beirut Blast project? Uh, just in this project. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it's quite a high number. So is that um, because communities of uh, people with refugee experience live near the port? Is that why that number is so high or what do you attribute that to? I think, uh, no, I think also there is uh, there is the um, uh, maybe the refugees are uh, are also um, uh, quite uh, uh, getting along with the with the, with the rehabilitation because in restart uh, we used to to take uh, uh, much more uh, quantities uh, of refugees uh, out of Lebanese. So so yeah. so many people uh, refugees came to restart uh, already and registered. And they are getting along with the psychological uh, uh, intervention, but the Lebanese uh, maybe uh, maybe they are uh, quite a long uh, long uh, far far from the from the rehabilitation. I see. Okay, um, Joelle, I was wondering if you could comment on what sort of symptoms and and difficulties people had, and if you can, in particular, comment on children and how. Um, children with refugee experience in particular were affected by the Beirut blast? Yes, so uh, children, especially refugee children, showed um, different symptoms of uh, after the blast. So especially we know all through the studies and by experience and observing, I mean, for several years, people and working with people who are affected by trauma, that uh, a trauma, a new trauma can revive uh, past traumas especially if the person did not recover and did not overcome already the past traumas. Mm -hmm. So with children, we observed several um, 
symptoms. Some are cognitive, some are purely psychological, some are behavioral. Uh, and it, it differs from the beginning of the blast and after six months or now after around one year. So symptoms change depending uh, for sure on the family, on the community, on the rehabilitation and many other factors, uh, some basic needs and socioeconomic situation. Mm. So the symptoms that we mostly observed are like there was a, a lot of anger at the beginning of the blast. And I think we still find that many, many times and in several cases, because people didn't understand, they were under shock, especially the children, they didn't understand what happened. Mm -hmm. And it was really sudden and uh, it was um, unexpected as we all know, explosions and blasts are unexpected. Mm. So uh, people were very fearful and uh, especially children, they were very attached to their parents. They could not uh, leave the parents go to buy things from the shop. Never, uh, also they could not go to the toilet by themselves. They were very attached. We saw some separation anxiety also, if we can say like disorder or some attachment uh, patterns. Uh, children were uh, experiencing some aneurysms and we observed this reaction after trauma usually. Mm. Uh, nightmares, some night terrors, crying uh, spells, anger spells. And uh, we also noted that parents were um, talking a lot about some behavioral changes in their children. So children were becoming more irritable, nervous, isolated. They lacked any motivation. They didn't want to participate in anything. Um, also, uh, children who were attending schools, even remotely, were not able to focus anymore. So we yeah. observed a lot of cognitive difficulties. Uh, children were dreaming, were uh, worried, were worried all the time. Maybe another blast would happen. They were. Uh, like in their dreams so they were not focusing mm. on the learning uh, on the learning and they were showing some memory difficulties and some inattention and uh, a lot of children and parents were talking about also um, lack of safety children were uh, insecure were asking all the time what would happen what's next what uh, what if it will happen again yeah. what if we will not be safe insecurity uh, mistrust mm. So really a very broad uh, yeah, spectrum mm -hmm. of disorder. I don't want to talk about disorder, but maybe about difficulties or symptoms mm -hmm. ch children showed and suffered from after the blast. Um, if I want to talk about after like six months, um, there is a difference between children who received rehabilitation or psychological support or treatment and children who did not receive any, like who are now contacting Restart because mm. they are still uh, showing symptoms uh, of uh, fear and aneurysms and etc. Mm. So parents are now seeing that after six months, children are still experiencing some traumatic uh, symptoms. Yeah. So with the children who follow the treatment of PSS or uh, specialized services, uh, mental health services, we showed a, a decrease of the symptoms, especially when parents were also followed up uh, at restart yeah. or they were also doing therapy. And yeah. for when parents are really, there was a cohesion in the family and the, the relationship between the family members was strong and bonded. Mm. Uh, there are several cases when children uh, had lost one of the family members 
Uh, in these cases, we're sure taking more time, things are taking more time and symptoms are uh, sometimes uh, increasing with time because they're living the grief and first we, we go through the denial, etc. And now they are in the acceptance. So things took a, a bit longer and we're still working on the traumatic and on the loss uh, uh, symptoms yeah. children are experiencing so and for sure there are several advert adversities this, mainly the social and economic situation uh, the support mm -hmm. they are having if they are attending school or not all these factors influence the i mean yeah. the evolution or the development of the skills and the and the state now in the mental state of the children yeah right but look, you mentioned um, you know, some protective factors already, like um, parents getting treatment as well and being yes. part of a, a family with strong bonds. Um, what else, um, looking back, have you noticed have been protective factors for children's recovery from that experience? Uh, yes, there are several protective factors, especially like as you said, the bond with between the family. I mean, we all know that when when family is well connected, when the relationship is is uh, good between the the parents and the children, where are there no ad big adversities, uh, healing will be uh, quicker and will be better for children. Mm -hmm. Uh, the community support is very, very important. Uh, attending school and being in contact with other children, with the community, uh, having recreational activities, uh, going to feeling that some uh, people from outside, I mean the NGOs or other members, are really uh, supporting, listening, and helping. This uh, this is a really a very protective factor. Mm. We have for sure resilient that the parents experience experience before and they transmit it to their children so if parents are doing well if parents are healing and are uh, showing uh, strength and uh, acceptance and this will help children to overcome but if parents are really uh, very traumatized and they didn't recover from their past traumatic experience in addition to the blast this will uh, affect the rehabilitation the, uh, for the of the children yeah. And now, Joelle and, and Celine, both of you, I suppose, like many people in Lebanon, have very strong links to Beirut. So um, you've both um, lived there for much of your lives and, um, you know, you work there. A big part of your social life um, occurs in Beirut. Um, so I, I'm really conscious of, of how the events we're talking about affected you as well. Um, and, you know, in the media that we were seeing in Australia, there was a lot of media coverage of um, the solidarity of members of the public who just seemed to descend down on Beirut after the blast and just clean up and support and help in any way they could. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk about the impact that those actions had on you and also on your clients. Yes. Uh, so uh, yes, the the action that uh, that the youth uh, people and all the young people from all the religions and ethnic uh, parties and uh, everyone was helping on the field since day one mm -hmm. uh, was uh, had had a huge impact on us on us all all the Lebanese and the, all the communities in Lebanon because uh, it uh, it gave uh, us hope. Uh, that uh, that at least there is someone who who cares. Uh, maybe the government uh, 
uh, doesn't have uh, uh, resources, but uh, youth people and all the NGOs also uh, were were on the field since day one. So it's, it's something uh, very positive and uh, mm. uh, gave me hope and gave us all uh, hope and solidarity was very shown. Yeah. Yeah, that filtered through across the oceans to the the diaspora. That um, those images of all uh, that that support, yeah. it really did. Yeah. And um, yes, Joelle, perhaps you can um, comment at first of what you identify as the ongoing needs of particularly young survivors of the blast. Yes, there are surely ongoing needs, especially with the situation in Lebanon, as um, you, you can see on the media and you know. Um, youth and children, they need to education. Education is one of the most important things that we need as a person, especially children need to, uh, to overcome the difficulties and to be in a community because school is the community, is a small community for children where they learn everything they, in life. So the, if I want to just um, name some of the ongoing needs, I would say education, schools, recreational activities, job opportunity, community activities, uh, and for sure, the basic needs who are the base of everything. If basic needs are not attended, so nothing will help uh, these people, uh, especially, I mean, young children or young, survivor, or young survivors to overcome. And one of the most important thing I would like to note as well is respect. Mm -hmm. So respect could be shown in everything we do, as you already said, and Celine said before, uh, being on the field with these children and with the people after the blast, uh, as person, I, I mean individual or as NGO, as restart, as community, uh, show people that we respect their sufferers. We are here, we understand what they are going through, we empathize with them, and we can, we are feeling the same. We're not coming from another country. We're, we're really mm. living in Beirut and we already were affected by the trauma. So mm. there was a lot of love in Beirut mm. after the blast. A lot of people spreading love, spreading care, respect, especially after this trauma, this disastrous mm. trauma, where everyone thought it's a crime, it's it's unforgettable, it's unfair, we, we're, not, we're nothing, we're worthless. Mm. So showing respect and giving values for these people uh, helped us, helped me personally as psychologist to overcome mm. my own uh, mm. trauma after the blast because I was in Beirut and help other people also to feel that we can handle it. There's, we can make it, we can be better. If there's love, there's care, healing is always, uh, it's always coming. It's not something unreachable. Yeah, thanks so much. That, that, really, that really struck a chord with me, especially, you know, you're talking about respect as a sort of antidote to events like this that just seem so senseless and so careless and so disrespectful of human yeah. life and then yeah that the, the respect and love can can be what um what helps heal from from that psychological effect yeah and what did Celine did you want to comment on that as well about the ongoing needs of young survivors yes sure uh, I want to say that uh, that uh, before the blast uh, also uh, all, all the 
not all the but but uh, maybe uh, a big number of the Lebanese people were uh, were lacking basic needs. So uh, the the people that uh, that were residing in Beirut also they they are lacking more and more basic needs. So <laughs> basic needs uh, maybe their house. Uh, medication uh, because there are there is now a lack of medication lack of supplies medical supplies uh, uh, lack of fuel so um, there is also the the need of security the the need of uh, of uh, feeling uh, hopeful uh, in Lebanon and, and living with their families in Lebanon not thinking about uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, traveling outside, and also job opportunities for sure yeah to build their future yeah yeah look I, I was going to ask you about this later but since you've both brought it up um we, we can't talk about this question without talking about the um the other crises that are affecting Lebanon um I mean on top of the COVID-19 pandemic there's the the deep um economic crisis and the the very unstable political situation um and all its flow-on effects so what does give your clients hope at such a difficult time for Lebanon? And what gives you hope yourselves? Yes, so uh, <laughs> this is a very uh, challenging question yeah. because we every yeah. day we think what keeps us going, mm. uh, especially in this difficult situation and with the pandemic and with the economic crisis, the political crisis, uh, with lack of resources. Um, personally, I think what keeps us uh, going just uh, uh, listening to our like family members, my, um, my parents, for example, my grandparents who uh, also had a very difficult time, who lived the war, myself in my childhood, and I, I think we overcame it. They always mm. say, you, we can handle it. We're here, we love our country, we want to, to stay here, we want to fight for our country. Mm. for our country so i think uh, feeling that other are, are are really supporting and there were past a successful experience and people were able to stay and to live uh, give me personally the hope and also like uh, the face face is very important for the lebanese mm. people in mm. general whatever is the religion whatever is the thought even for people who are, are not very religious i mean having face help us uh, to um, to keep on going and to say tomorrow will be better. We want to help each other. We love our country. I think no one doesn't love Lebanon. Even tourists who come to Lebanon will love <laughs> Lebanon. It's a wonderful country. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I permit myself to talk about it because really it's something that is full of love, full of positivity. Unfortunately, now it's not this case, but we know our country when it was really going very well and we wanted mm. to keep on going. Mm. As for the for the people or the survivors, just listening to them, being supportive. I can say sometimes I cannot maybe provide this financial help, but I can listen, I'm here. Mm. I, I'm, I'm supporting you, I'm sitting with you in this very dark moment or this mm. difficult moment. Mm. This will, will give people hope and strength to say, yes, we can do it. We can handle it. We will overcome it. It's difficult, mm. but we will we, we'll be uh, stronger after that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, really, really touching how, um, how supportive and how important that connection can be um, as like a light in the darkness. Um, 
and the love of country as well and how I can imagine how that is with with people who have roots and heritage um, in Lebanon and is that something that um, flows through to people who have come to Lebanon as refugees? Um, I think yes it, it's sometimes you know it, it comes but it's not under a governmental I mean a project or a plan or strategy it's individual work people are spreading their love we can observe some challenges a lot of challenges refugees can face in Lebanon especially mm -hmm. when a country lacks resources financial social there will be some cha some challenges for for refugees but i mean if i can talk about people who come to restart they when arrive to the center they would say we feel safe here we feel respected mm. we feel loved because mm. we 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 spread these values that we inherited as you said from our families from mm. our roots and we want to spread this everywhere as much as we can yeah yeah and um, Joelle, what are your impressions of what school teachers and school staff can do um, to support students that um, have been affected by the blast, but also by the broader crises in Lebanon? Um, what can they do when they're on campus with their students and, and what have they been able to do with um, remote learning? Yes, um, as I, I mentioned before, uh, school is the the most important things I see for children, being at school, being in contact with their teachers, uh, being in the groups, that is very important. Unfortunately, during the past year, during the COVID-19 pandemic, most of the teaching was going through, uh, I mean, internet, so it was remotely, and many, many people uh, don't have internet and don't have electricity so uh, this affected a lot uh, also the healing for the children and the, like the learning process also and being in contact with the teacher mm. so but for sure if situation i mean if we have the internet of school uh, like i mean children are attending school i think for the next year hopefully they will be attending and now last month they attended around one month school things automatically change because it's, uh, you know sometimes children they spend most of their times at school they spend time with teachers more than spend they spend time with their families or their mm -hmm. parents and they learn all the values of life all everything the communication the respect the all the learning skills how to to be in contact with others uh, how to respect uh, what to do how to talk to others and how to build a healthy communication they learn everything at school they also learn that life is fair most of the time mm -hmm. they learn about how to be fair how to be equal and how to develop all the values so these things lack during the past two years due to the pandemic yeah. uh, which impacted uh, for sure the the, the resilience and uh, also uh, of the, uh, the possibility to overcome uh, much uh, easier I mean the the, panda, uh, the Beirut blast, but for sure, school is one of has a very big role in implementing skills, developing manners, uh, giving the ch the children the feeling of safety, of respect, and the teachers are are tutors are are really the very good example of the nice and happy life and nice uh, life for children. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, both of you already spoke a bit about um, how the blast impacted you personally and um, what's been helpful in recovery. So I was wondering if, if you could share, um, perhaps, Joelle, if you'd like to go first, about um, how you practice self-care as part of your, your practice as a psychologist and, and how you try to mitigate those risks of vicarious trauma and burnout as well. Yes. Uh, so... Uh... Yes, I was, as you said, I live in Beirut, so I was a bit close to the to the blast and it affected me as it affected other and created all this insecurity feeling, all this anger inside me as well and uh, all the sadness after the blast. So um, practicing like self-care is something that I started doing it before the blast. Since I was started working with people who are a victim of torture or are victim of violence or any other. So uh, because we face, we are automatically, most of the people are affected by the stories of people who are uh, facing or who are suffering from uh, trauma or from injustice, unfairness, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I do usually, uh, first of all, I would like uh, know what are my warning signs. <laughs> so I know my warning signs personally, they are like being a little bit isolated, not talking too much, being irritable. Mm -hmm. Uh, being nervous very uh, very quickly and very uh, easily being jumpy so these are my personal uh, warning signs so once i start feeling that i'm i'm being a little bit isolated i'm nervous i start like uh, uh, knowing that i should uh, step back i should uh, take care of myself and i usually ask the people around me also to tell me uh, about if they feel that there's any change in my behavior especially my my family so just to to tell me about this and i would start take a bit of vacation most of the time i take few days mm. i would rest and i would do some fun things some pleasurable things i used to do like going out going to the beach seeing my parents seeing my family mm. this will help me and i would uh, also read or, or do things that are really not connected to the work yeah but this is this helps me a lot really to overcome the vicarious trauma and the burnout. Wow, yeah, that, that sounds pretty impressive actually. Um yeah, it looks like you put a lot in place there to to make sure you catch it before it becomes problematic for you. And what about you, Celine? Um, how do you practice self-care in your role? Yes. So uh, personally, uh, I love uh, nature. So I go to nature, uh, every kind of nature, beach, uh, uh, green fields or forests. I love uh, nature so much. And uh, uh, spending time with my family and my friends um, uh, is so important for me. Uh, also sport activities, um, uh, activities that, uh, that uh, give me maybe some challenge. Uh, I love those activities. And in the Beirut Blast, I wanted to say something that, uh, that in the project, mm -hmm. uh, there, there were uh, weekly debriefing sessions for the field workers, Every, everyone who is working on the field. Uh, uh, there were there were debriefing sessions for them all weekly, um, expressing their their feelings, uh, the, all all kind of feelings uh, expressed and on the field, and also uh, concerning the work, the colleagues' support is uh, so important for me. Sharing uh, 
sharing experiences, bad experiences maybe, or feeling to my colleagues uh, relieved me a lot. Yeah, yes. Let me just also tell you, Nicole, that already at Restad we have a, a whole self-care program already implemented at the center because we work with people who are traumatized. So we have already uh, monthly debriefing session, weekly supervision sessions. Uh, we have very good connection and very good bounding between the team. So I can mm -hmm. go and talk to my colleague and mm -hmm. just express my feelings. And we have so sometimes uh, twice per year, we have some weekends. We go as a team just outside of the work. We do self-care because, and this is really very, very important uh, mm -hmm. for us as team. We are very, we have a lot of awareness session about the vicarious trauma yeah. uh, and the secondary trauma and the burnout. So we, we already um, implemented this and give this a very important part and yeah. uh, during our work because it helps us give more and better and be more uh, attentive to the beneficiaries we work with. Yeah, no, it sounds like you've put plenty in place to um, take good care of yourselves as well. And look, I'm, I'm sure, um, like us, it starts um, uh, the impact of, you know, the resilience that we um, that we encounter amongst our clients and what, what they're able to withstand and, and still, you know, flourish and go forward and stay motivated. Um, that has an impact on us too. I was wondering if you would like to talk to your experience of um, vicarious resilience. Yes, uh, exactly. I... Uh, I had, uh, so as I already told you, several experiences of vicarious trauma. Uh, and after that, uh, I felt more resilient. I felt that um, after listening to other story, traumatic stories and very difficult sort of feeling of, as I said, unfairness of being really with no value, um, had me understand more life. I feel that I'm, I understand things better. I'm mature. I can see, uh, I have some changes in my, in my the way of seeing life. So, you know, after experiencing vicarious trauma, many things change in the way you see things and I'm more grateful for what I have. Many things I had in life, maybe I didn't pay attention to what I have. Now I feel that I'm grateful for the smallest, smallest things in my life mm -hmm. and I can cope better with my problems. Whatever happens, I tell myself, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's okay, it will go. Let me see how I can solve this. I, I'm able to cope better with my problems, to overcome the, my own adversities after I saw other people's adversities and how things are can really be very, very difficult. I mean, uh, I surely studied, I had my degrees and everything, but working with people, uh, listening to their story, uh, this is what this is what teach me, what taught me, I mean, the most important values in life mm -hmm. and taught me how to be grateful and to be happy. We can be happy with very small things and we don't need big things to be happy. And I think this is resilience that we can do it. We can handle it. Things can happen. It's okay. Yeah. We can overcome it. Wow. What a gift that is, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. Appreciating the small things and yeah. Yeah. Celine, did you want to comment on that as well? 
No, um, no, honestly, I, I second Joel and everything she said <laughs> because, yeah. uh, because our resilience uh, <laughs> is, is about uh, helping people, honestly, yeah. uh, every, every worker, uh, so, social worker, maybe, or, uh, mm. or uh, psychologist or every worker on the mental health field mm. or humanitarian field, um, I guess, um, uh, he gets his resilience from helping people, uh, listening, supporting, Mm. Yes, mm. but uh, I wanted to say that uh, the all the Lebanese people <laughs> maybe are like uh, like Joel said, the resilience uh, is in the happiness uh, because because you uh, if you, if you if you search uh, a little in the Lebanese uh, living style, they are they they have so many problems mm. that. Uh, that, that uh, don't give them happiness at all. <laughs> but yeah. all the people, all the Lebanese people, like, you you see them uh, happy and uh, yeah. and uh, go to to restaurants. Uh, <laughs> they have the nightlife. And, and yeah. They are with their families, but but all the problems are are on on them. They're, they're so, ongoing, yes. but they they've learned how to yeah be happy in spite of. Um, chaos yes. yeah and I, do you find that amongst, used, maybe. yeah may, maybe do you find the same thing amongst your Syrian and Iraqi and other refugee clients you can see this among I mean the area but uh, for the maybe refugees I think their problems are bigger yeah yeah yes. especially really we are still living in our country and you know no mm. refugee chose to be a refugee Mm. So he was obliged to be a refugee. And for sure, when you're not in your country, among your community, your family, mm. uh, this would not be as easy as for us. We are still living in our country. We are among our families, among our our colleagues. And this is, the, this is very important uh, in life for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Celine, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit more about um, this calendar that you created and shared with your co-workers. I had a chance to have a brief look at it um, in the pre-interview. Uh, yes. I'd, I'd love to hear hear a lot more about how that yeah. came about and, and why you put that together. Yes, yes. So uh, the calendar was, was an idea uh, at the end of the project. Uh, just take it to uh to to be some uh, a support or a souvenir or acknowledgement of the appreciation of of all the work that was done and uh, at the same time uh to be a souvenir something to remember uh all all these uh, six months uh that they worked on the field uh, they helped uh, the victims uh, it's, it's so important to to have like a, maybe a small souvenir. So uh, we thought about uh, preparing a calendar with uh, with uh, uh, all the the photos uh, on the field. There were on the field the photos of the victims of all the events uh, prepared uh, after getting the consent of the uh, of the people uh, for sure. And uh, uh, and we have put uh, also quotes from the patients themselves, um, appreciating the, the field workers. And we have put also on the back uh, quotes also for, for, uh, from the, the field workers, uh, supporting each others and uh, talking uh, uh, about the project a little bit. So yes, it, it was uh, so beautiful, uh, this uh, like gesture, yeah. souvenir. 
And, and have you been using the calendar yourself in the months since the blast? Sure. Yeah. And yes. It's in our house. house. Yes. yes. And what's it been like? Um, my what's desk been... and my house. Yeah. Tell me about the impact that's been having on you um, using that over the months. So for me, I... I, I I read the the quotes every every month or or every uh, now and then and uh, uh, I I feel so happy uh, seeing the pictures uh, honestly. Yeah. Did you want to add to that, Joelle? Yeah, I just want to say that I have it in my kitchen and you know every day I can see the date and my children they will come and see every day and they will read the quotes and just remember because. Everyone, every Lebanese or every person on the Lebanese territory, uh, they want to remember this uh, because we didn't forget. Nothing was done yet. It's yeah. still affecting us, but we can see also, uh, we can see the faces of the persons on the photo who are happy as well. Mm. So it's, as Celine said, it's acknowledging all the sufferers and as well acknowledging all the good work that was done with these people. Yeah, I can yes. imagine how that's so, really helpful with building a, a more complete picture to understand what happened, that there were terrible things and there was, but there was still also love and respect and care. Yeah. I'm sorry, did I interrupt you, Celine? No, no, no. Ah, sorry. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I just wanted to say that, that uh, as uh, Joelle maybe mentioned, uh, that the calendar is the positive uh, side of the, uh, of this uh, blast. Yeah, yeah, I see. Mm. Yeah. Now, well, speaking of dates, um, the anniversary of the blast is fast approaching on the 4th of August. Um, Joelle, perhaps, um, well, well, both of you really, but Joelle, if you'd like to start on um, how, um, why anniversaries can be so difficult for, for survivors of a traumatic events such as this and, and how you might, um, advise people to to prepare um, for the anniversary or, or help children in their care prepare um, for this date? Yes, so usually anniversaries are like the happy memory or the happy souvenir or uh, of things that happen like birthday or weddings or things. But uh, for the blast uh, now in around one month, it would be like the anniversary, if we can say one year after the blast. And it's still a, a hurtful and a difficult memory for all of us, especially because um, uh, many things are not uh, put in place again, if we can say it's like uh, uh, houses, uh, people are still like some people without any house, no reparation done for everyone. Uh, some children are still experiencing difficulties, some families, we have a lot of adversities, a lot of challenges. Uh, and the situation of the country, the whole situation of Lebanon is very critical and we lack a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. So um, now as we, we can see on the media that there are some uh, advertisement and some uh, also short uh, films or short, uh, short uh, I mean, uh, photos about the blast that we will not forget. We need that. Uh, there is no account. We need accountability. We need people. We want to know what happened. We. We will never forget every day we remember the blast because it marked the history of Lebanon a lot. Maybe we had war, but the blast was 
stronger, was different from the war. It was like when you are in your own house, in your safe place where you think that no one can hurt you and mm. it happened in the house. People who were like sleeping, they were uh, resting and uh, everything, and the blast happened at this moment and they were uh, injured or affected or, or deceased. So, um, now on the media, we can see that there are, as I told you, movies, small movies about it. And uh, there are people who are coming, going to the streets again to show that they are still asking for, uh, to know the truth. We need, they need things to be, they want to know what happened exactly. Uh, uh, and also like for children, what we need to do is usually uh, to give them time to talk and talk as much as they want about it. And not tell them no. It's, it's don't talk about it. Uh, it's it happened. It's in the past. Uh, uh, stop talking about it. This will will increase. I mean the symptoms and will will not help them to to feel to to be healed. So what helps is just to give them time in this moment, especially after one year, to talk about their experience. What changed? What did they learn? Uh, and how things change from now then, and to give them hope as much as we can in the future, uh, because this is something that happened. We cannot go back, we cannot control, but we can control or work on to cope better on the things that we now have and we can do. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this, I, 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 to be honest, this is a very difficult month, and I think on the fourth of uh, August. Uh, all Lebanon will be sad again, yeah. uh, but we need to, this happened and we want to get stronger and stronger and we want, uh, we want, the, we want the accountability, we want the truth and yeah. uh, we want peace by the end. We really need peace in Lebanon mm. and for Beirut. Yeah, and security. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and, and Celine, did you want to add further to... Um, the impact oh, of an anniversary and preparing for I think all the NGOs will prepare for uh, an anniversary mm -hmm. uh, because uh, it was an impact uh, on all Lebanese, not uh, just uh, Beirut citizens, the yeah. res residents. So uh, I think the maybe uh, just like uh, Joel said, the, uh, I want to emphasize on the anger feeling mm -hmm. that all the Lebanese will, will be feeling again after a year, because after a year, there, there is no, uh, uh, till now, there is no accountability for, uh, for, for the person, or, or we don't know who uh, did that, or, or who is accountable, accounted on that. So yes, I yes. guess uh, all the people, uh, Lebanese people will be angry again. Yeah, a reminder of the need for, for truth and answers. Look, um, both Victims. of you have been so um, impressed um, by what you've been able to achieve and the work you've been able to do under such difficult circumstances and really hold a lot of respect for, for both of you and for the work of Restart. Um, for people that are interested in, in supporting Restart further, um, what can listeners do to support Restart's work? Oh, yes. <laughs> Yes, so um, maybe uh, ju just like we, we said before, uh, in all, all the country, we lack medication. Uh, maybe, maybe if, uh, if someone uh, may help uh, sending us uh, medication, uh, because, because in Restart also, we lack medication. Uh, medication and the medical supplies. 
So uh, maybe this uh, this uh, may be a solution. And uh, if someone uh, wants to donate financially, we have our website that is restartcenter.com and uh, they can uh, enter to the what you can do section, okay. international donations. Mm. So yes. Okay, I'll make sure this, I put that in the show notes. Okay, yeah. and this, this will help a lot. Thanks in advance. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you both sincerely um, for your time and for, for delving into, you know, really difficult um, parts, of, parts of your recent history. I really appreciate that. Is, is there anything either of you would like to add before we finish up for today? I would like to thank you, Nicole, for your interest and in, and um, highlighting, I mean, what happened in Lebanon, especially with the refugees. Uh, thank you so much for, for this podcast, for this conversation, for this time, uh, for giving us the possibility to share our experience because also sharing and spreading and talking about it more and more uh, uh, would make us feel better. And this is our duty also to talk about what happened and to ask for the rights for the people who were affected. Mm. This is one of our duties. Thank you so much for your interest, for contacting us, reaching out to us and for having us today. It's such a, such a pleasure to, to have this conversation with you. And I hope, uh, I mean, this is, will be the end of all the suffers for the refugees and for the Lebanese and for people all around the world. I wish oh. peace for everyone and happiness for every single person on the earth. Wow, I, I can't think of a better note to end on. So thank you both. Yes. <laughs> Take good care of yourselves and each other. Yes, Thank, thank you, you. you I too. want to thank you also uh, because uh, you have this interest in, in Lebanon, this small uh, country <laughs> that uh, that is not known uh, a lot. So uh, so it's it's a uh, it's a little country, but but it's it's blessed. It's blessed. So yeah. I hope uh, things will get better uh, soon. <laughs> Me too, Celine. So. Me too. Thank you. Thank you.